Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. We have been speaking a series of messages on our theme called Be the One. And the thing that's just really gotten deep in my spirit is being a follower of Christ. Um, Many people can call themselves Christians. And that could mean different things to different people. We've seen much, many people hate other groups of people based on their stance as a Christian. You could start wars under the name of Christianity. You could do various things under the name of religion, but... To be a follower of Christ means something much different. Uh, There's a lot of variation to Christianity, but there's only one variation to being a follower of Jesus. And this morning, I don't want CWC to be filled with Christians. I want CWC to be filled with followers of Christ. Come on, say it again, Pastor. Now, now you might be comfortable with religion. You might be comfortable with being a Christian. Because you could be a Christian and believe different things. You could be a Christian and it's not really defined in the word as to what a Christian is. But it is defined on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You can't call yourself a follower or a disciple of Christ and do certain things. You can't hate your brother or sister. can't gossip about other people. You can't put other people down while you're a follower of Christ. Come on, somebody. So in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, we see an invitation that Jesus gives to his followers in the beginning of his ministry. And verse 18 reads, As Jesus and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers. How many brothers did he see? Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea. What were the brothers' names? Someone earlier said Simon and Peter. Simon and Peter are the same people, okay? So we got Simon, whose name is also Peter, and Andrew, his brother. What were they? Fishermen. They didn't fish for a hobby. Fishing was their living. That's what they did for their occupation, how they survived. That was their business. Verse 19. Then he said to them, follow me. Someone say, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they checked their 401k. They checked to see if the business plan was feasible. They checked with their families to make sure their families approved. What does it say? They what? Immediately. How many know that delayed obedience is really disobedience? The Bible says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Pray with me. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This invitation shows us a picture of what Jesus was all about, who Jesus was all about. He invites, makes an invitation to these men to follow him. 
And that invitation is still alive and well today where Jesus is still inviting people into a life of follow, into a life where people would follow after this man, Jesus. I want you to notice something. In chapter 4, we see Jesus inviting them to follow, but then we see something different happen in chapter 8 in the book of Matthew. Just four chapters later, we see that Jesus almost is kind of fighting against followers, And so it's easy to look at the story of Jesus where some people he makes this invitation and it seems so easy to become a follower of Jesus. But if we really look into what Peter and what Andrew did, they literally left everything. They left their financial security. They left their business. They left uh, everything that was important to them, what they had built, and they walked away from these things to follow Jesus. Now when we get to chapter 8, turn your Bibles to chapter 8 and keep it, keep it there because I want you to notice that when we get to chapter 8, in chapter 8, Jesus heals a leopard, a person that has leprosy. Uh, he, he heals a centurion's ser- servant, uh, the centurion's uh, servant. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. I'm sure Peter was really excited about that. And then after he heals Peter's mother-in-law... All of a sudden, people from the city start coming to Peter's mother-in-law's house and bringing sick people, and Jesus starts healing them as well. And so there's this big revival that starts taking place. Now, most of us, if you are planning a church, you've got some great church growth going on right now. Right? Jesus, if, he, if Jesus is smart, he opens a website. He starts on Twitter right now. Healing's going on like crazy right now at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Come on and get yours. It would have been, there would have been pictures of the, someone lame walking. It would have been, we would have had video on Instagram. It would have been on Facebook. And you would have had the little emojis where, and not just like love, wow. You would, all these different things about what Jesus is doing. And we would have started a website, started a church, and all these things. We would have started handing out commitment cards, start getting people to commit, hey, to go to these classes, become a member, and become a member of Jesus.com. And all these things would have went, went taking place. But I want you to notice what happens in chapter 8. Jesus, this concept of being a follower of Christ seems to be a bit more challenging than just saying a prayer. We've taken what Jesus did in the New Testament and we've turned it into a prayer. Just say this prayer and you're, you're okay. Not realizing that there's a lot attached to that prayer. I need you to understand forgiveness is free. Let me try this side. Forgiveness is free. It is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone that you and I are saved. You can do nothing to merit salvation. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. Jesus paid the cost on the cross of Calvary when he gave his life, said it is finished. He gave everything that we need to be saved. So you can't do it. You can't be good enough to earn salvation. Salvation is free. But to follow Jesus will cost you everything. I lost half of you right there. What what happened to the free? We love free things. (laughs) Give me something free. You don't even need it. That's why Costco, you're walking around. You don't even like what they have there. You just go and get it because it's free. Come on, you'll stand in line waiting for something free. 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, after all this goes on and this crowd is beginning to grow, verse 18, Jesus saw that the, a curious crowd was growing. Not a committed one, curious one. They just want to see what's going on. People want to be part of an event, see what's taking place. And a curious crowd was growing by the minute, and he told his disciples, hey, let's start a ministry here. He told his disciples, let's start our Jesus.com right here. Let's start a new ministry right now. Let's start passing out flyers and get more people to come. What does Jesus tell the disciples to do? Get me out of here. What? What do you mean get you out of here? Isn't this why you came? Isn't this why you, why, you, why you came to this place? And Jesus tells him, take me to the other side of the lake. Now, Jesus never allowed, and I want you to understand this. This is vital because when you know your purpose, you won't allow the opinions or the popularity of the crowd to change your position or God's plan for your life. And Jesus never allowed the size of the crowd to change or, or to move or change him. Jesus did not allow public peer pressure to transform who he was. In fact, later on, you see the crowd tried to take Jesus and make him king. And, and, he, and he fought against it. He went away. Why? Because becoming a king on earth was a demotion to him. I'm not taking a demotion. I know who I am. And some of you are settling for position in life that God never created you for. Say it again, Pastor. Some of you are settling for things in life that God never intended. He contended something greater, something better for you. See, Jesus did not value crowds. He valued commitment. Now, I need you to understand, he loved crowds because crowds are filled with people. And for God so loved the world that he gave. He loves people. But God doesn't judge people based on the crowd. He judges them based on their commitment. Now, I want you to notice as he's leaving. So he tells his posse, hey, guys, we out. Everyone's calling our name. Everyone's having a good time here. And I can just imagine Jesus standing up and saying, hey, let's go. Now, now remember, in those days, he didn't jump. He didn't just do this number here. Hey, we're moving out. Okay, guys, we're moving out. Guys, uh, security, get the security team ready to go. Where Jesus is on the move. Everyone jumps into escalades, and all of a sudden, they're, they're rolling out of the city. That's not how it worked back then, because you have a crowd of people. You're trying to get out of a crowd. You didn't have that ability. You jump on a donkey, and everyone's walking out the same speed. You're fighting through the same traffic everyone else's. So in order to get out away from places quickly, Jesus had to jump on boats. And they would jump on the boats and they would go across. That's how they can set some distance, how they can get alone, how they can get away. And as Jesus was leaving, look at verse 19 of chapter 8. Something interesting happens here. Then a teacher of the law came to him. Now, not not a studier of the law. This is a teacher, a scribe. This brother has been studying the word, has been studying the law for over 15 years. At about 15 years old, he's, he's learned, uh, he starts studying the law. They become a man at about 12 or 13. 
13, at, at about 15 years old, they're allowed to start studying the law and they're going to go into the law and to become a scribe. And it takes about 12 years of studying for them to become a lawyer. And so now at, this guy's around just under 30, maybe a little over 30, because not only does he now know the law, he is now teaching the law. So this guy is founded. This guy knows the word. This guy is, he, he's a scholar. He walks up to Jesus. And you got to imagine this. He just saw a leper healed. He just saw a centurion a servant healed. He just saw Peter's mother-in-law healed. And now the whole city is coming down. And people are getting up out of, a, out of bed. People that are dead are raising. People that are deaf are hearing. People that are blind are seeing. And this guy's like, dang, this is, this is tight. All I do is teach. And I'm not getting any results like this. And so he sees all the hoopla and he sees the, the posse Jesus is with. He sees the crowd of people. And how many of you know that that's enticing? Some people just want to be part of a movement. They, they don't want to make anything move. They just want to be part of a movement. You don't want to set anything in motion. You just want to be part of the flow. You know, anyone can catch a wave, but can you create one? Now, now notice what happens. Then the teacher of the law came to him and said, now, now check this out. He's a teacher. He comes up to Jesus. Teacher. We're, we're, we're equal. You're a teacher. I'm a teacher. I will follow wherever you go. You're lucky to get me. You know my resume? Dude, I got my, I got my BA, my MA, my PhD, my whatever, you, whatever other alphabet you want to put at the end of it. I got it all, man. I've been teaching this thing. I, I'm, you know, I'm the Johnny Cochran of teachers and the law of, Ju- of Judaism. You are lucky to have, you know, listen, man. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to follow you. That's the way a lot of us sometimes act when we serve God. God, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll choose to follow you. We think the choice is ours to follow him. The Bible says no one comes unto the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Now, now, I just messed half of you up. What, what, am I invited? Did, did, did God draw me? Am I here by, did I just crash this party? God, am I saved? You know, some of you right now are just at that. He comes to Jesus and says, wherever you go, I'll go. And Jesus knows this guy's heart. And he looks at him and says, dude, you ain't ready for this. He goes, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, bro, I don't got an address. I don't have a home. You, you, think, you, think we're, you think we're making things rain here? We ain't got no money. You're thinking we're riding the limousines. You think that we got, just because we got crowds, that we got, we got cash. That's not the way it is. It's sacrifice to live my life. You think following me, you're going to get it all, that you're going ha- to live in the house in the, on, the, on the hill, that you're going to have all the money in the world, that you're going to have influence, you're going to ride in the nicest car, eat at the nicest restaurants. Brother, I don't even have a place to put my head down tonight. I don't even know where I'm going this evening. If you want to live that kind of life, then come follow me. Are you willing to give it all up is what he's saying. Come on, somebody. And so we don't even see 
what he responds. The Bible doesn't eat. All we can imagine is him just doing this. Oh, I got a better job right now. You want me to leave all that and come? And so while he's thinking, someone else comes up to him immediately. And look what, look what happens in verse 21. Another disciple. Someone say disciple. This is a follower of Jesus. This is someone that is, that is going out. He's not one of the 12, but he's a disciple. He's probably one of the 70 that Jesus sent out and gave authority over demons. And this guy's cast out demons. This guy has done some great things. So he likes what he's seeing about what Jesus has done. So a disciple, the Bible says, come to him and says this. Let me first go bury my, let me go and bury my father. Now, Jesus is cold. It's his dad. It's my pop. It's my pappy. My papa. It's my pop. It's, pa- it's my daddy. You, you I, got, I got to make sure, I, you know, it, it's honor to take care of your parents when they get older. Come on, somebody. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, dude, you got your priorities all messed up. You got people that are saying, well, when I get my marriage in order, then I'll follow you. When I get my finances in order, then I'll follow you. That when I get this part of my life taken care of, then I'll follow you. When my parents are, are, are passed away and then I don't have any more responsibilities, then I'll give you my life. But Jesus is saying this, I want all of you now. I don't want all of you later on when all these other things in your life have been worked out. Jesus tells them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Dude, Jesus, that's just wrong. That sounds so insensitive. Come on, somebody. Talk to me. How many of you would be offended right there? Yeah. I know. I I would. And I'm preaching it. That's just cold. That just seems wrong. But you see the level. This is the same God that is talking about when people, when Jesus says, you know what? You have to hate your own mother, your own father, your own sister, your own brother. And now, now listen, when Jesus says that, he's not saying to literally hate them. Because it goes against what everything he preached. You shall know they're my disciples by their love. And so to hate them, what Jesus was simply saying was this, is that your love and commitment to me should be so great, it makes your love for others look like hate. Oh, you got to grab a hold of this. You should be so sold out for me that I come before anything else. See, that's why I say that forgiveness is free, but to follow Christ will cost you everything. Jesus' response seems to indicate that he doesn't want them to follow, doesn't it? It's like, hey, can I go with you? Uh, well, listen, you have to go do this. I can't do that. Well, you can't come then. Jesus is caring, he's loving, and forgiving. But when someone decided to follow him, there was a standard. It cost him something. How many know, how many have ever felt the care of God in your life? Amen. How many have ever felt the love of God in your life? Amen. How many of you have ever felt the forgiveness of God in your life? Come on. Amen. You've received it. You've experienced it. How many know those things come for free? God loves you. He cares for you. And he'll forgive you when you ask. Those things are free. But to follow him, there's a standard. 
There's a standard that goes along with the follow. And what Jesus was saying is, I want you to count the cost before you build the house. You want to follow me, you better determine what it's going to cost. What relationships? Who's going to turn away from you once you follow me? What, what things are you going to have to give up to follow me? And what's the trip is this, is that many times we judge things that what we have to give up, not realizing what we get in return. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus sad because he had with great riches missing out on the very experiences that he could have had seeing dead people raised, blind eyes open, multiplying the fishes and loaves, those opportunities that he would have had that money could not buy. Something interesting happens, and we're, we're going to close here in a moment, so stay with me, okay? This is where we bring it down. Um, Matthew chapter 8. Now, Verse, verse 23 says this. Then he got into the boat. Who got in the boat? Jesus gets in the boat. Now, remember, he get, there's three. The book of Matthew, Mark, Luke. Only the book of John doesn't record this event. But the other three gospels do. And other three gospels put it this way. That he commanded them to get in the boat. Or urged them. The Hebrew or the Greek word there literally means. He says, go over there. It wasn't, you know, if you want. He says, get in the boat. Come on, guys, let's go. We're getting in the boat. And so with that, Jesus gets in the boat, and he doesn't ask him again. Jesus got in the boat, and his disciples what? Followed. Now, I want you to understand, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. What? What do you mean? They told me if I raised my hand and said that prayer that everything would be great. What's going on? What, 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 happened, what happened to... And we begin, to, we begin to think that just because I say a prayer, all of a sudden everything's fine in life. Look, look what happens. Jesus gets in the boat and his disciples followed him. Everyone say followed. Suddenly a furious storm, not just a storm, a furious storm came up on the lake so that this wave swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. They asked Mike Tyson, Mike Ty- when, when, he was, when he was champ, they asked him, what is the hardest punch you've ever received? What's the, what's the punch that hurts the most? And he says, it's the one you don't expect. It's the punch you don't see coming that, 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 that will catch you. Buster Douglas let him know that. It's the one that you don't see coming. And in our lives, how many of you know that, how many of you have an app on your phone that tells you what the weather is? And before you get ready in the morning, you pull that thing out, you hit the little button, and it gives you what the, what the weather is. And you dress based on what the weather says, right? Yeah. Uh, every morning I ask my wife, so what's it going to be like today? So that determines what, whether I'm wearing a T-shirt, whether I'm wearing a dress shirt, or whether I'm wearing a jacket or a sweater, based on the report I get from her. But how many of you know there is no app that tells us, oh, I'm going to have marital problems about 1230 this afternoon. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a car accident that's going to take place probably around 435 on the way home from work. There's no app that tells you that. You know, we're going to have problems with the kids around 8.30 tonight. 
There's no app. You don't look somewhere and say, okay, let's get prepared because we have a storm on the horizon that's about to come and it's going to knock us down. But suddenly a furious storm came and they came upon them. And just like the disciples, there are times that we feel like God is asleep in our boat. And it messes with our theology that in the middle of the storm that we're going through, in the middle of my marital crisis, in the middle of my sickness, in the middle of my addiction, in the middle of my depression, God, how come you are not doing anything? And yet I followed you. I got it. You told me to get in the boat. I'm only here because you told me to come here. You told me to marry her. You told me to take this job. We always blame it on God. And everyone's saying, don't marry her. Don't marry him. Get away from him. And you still did it. Well, how do you do? You got what you wanted. Notice, Notice what happens. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Most storms in life come suddenly. And that's what hurts so much. You don't expect them to come. Sicknesses, battles, and, and, and trials, and financial situations, emotional things. All these things come up when we least expect it. And like the disciples, we begin to wonder if Jesus really cares because we're looking for him. And it seems like he's asleep in our situation. You wonder, God, what, what, don't you see how he's treating me? Don't you see what she's putting me through? Don't, don't you see what we're going through financially right now? Don't you see what, how, how, how messed up we are emotionally? God, don't you see our neighbors? We begin to wonder, God, where are you? But I want to encourage you. I need you to understand something. The disciples forgot that Jesus commanded them not just to get in the boat, but to go to the other side. And when God gives you a destination and a destiny, you're going to get to the other side. No matter what storm comes against you, no matter what tempest rises up, no matter what comes against your marriage, what comes against your finances, what comes against your body, no matter what storms are kicked up, no matter what's coming over your boat, you're sitting there and you're pouring out water, you're sitting there and you're bailing, and all Jesus seems to be doing is sleeping. Jesus, can't you get up and grab a bucket? Come on, son. You can walk on water. We can't. Could you grab a bucket? Could you at least make it look like you're concerned about what I'm going through? You pray and you feel like God doesn't even hear your prayer. Come on, somebody. And we're followers of Christ. We've seen him do it for other people. Why aren't you doing it? We just got, now follow me. We just got done seeing a leper cleanse. We just got seen, got done seeing the centurion servant healed. We saw Peter's mother-in-law healed. We saw a whole city break out of revival. And now we're going to drown? Not realizing that all those miracles wasn't for them wasn't for the leper, wasn't for the centurion, wasn't for Peter's mother-in-law, wasn't even for the city. It was for the 12. 
because they believed Jesus had authority on the shore. They didn't think he had authority in the storm. And many of us, we, we think that everything's cool. God's in control when we're on the storm, when we're on the shore. We have firm footing. But it's when we get into those places in life where things are rocky. That's where you begin to think, well, God doesn't have control here. I got news for you, honey. God even controls the waves of the sea. God still has control even when things seem out of control in your life. I need you to not forget these two things as I close this morning. Don't forget, Jesus is still in your boat. He might be asleep, but he's still there. And if he's there, then we're good. He might be asleep, but he's there. Secondly, you have a destiny. He he determined where we're going. Now, I might be following him into a storm, but at least he's with me in the storm. I might have followed followed him and I might be in a storm, but at least he's with me through this storm. I don't understand why the storm came. I don't know what's going on in the middle of the storm, but Jesus never promised me smooth sailing. He just promised that he would never leave me or forsake me. He's with you. Oh, come on, look right now in the middle of that situation you're going through. He's with you. May not feel like it right now, but he's with you. You might be bailing, but he's with you. You might be bailing water, but Jesus isn't bailing on you. Jesus is with you. Peter chapter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. Stop thinking it's strange. God, why am I going through this thing? Stop thinking it's strange because every trial you go through is another opportunity for God to reveal another part of his character to you. Now, I need you to understand that your storm may have surprised you, but it didn't surprise Jesus. Okay? Your financial crisis may have surprised you. Well, even though it shouldn't because of the way you spend, but it... That health thing shouldn't have surprised you, but it didn't surprise Jesus. Matthew 8, 26, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up. Somebody say got up. They woke him up out of a dream. They woke him up out of of rest. Jesus was, have you ever been woken up out of a deep sleep? You're not usually happy. They wake him up and he finally gets some rest. Oh, there's always someone that wants something from him. Now he finally finds a place of rest in his, the people that he's, that should trust him the most are the ones that are doubting the most. He wakes up and he says, you have little faith. He, he's not mad that there's, that, that about the waves and the wind. What he's upset about is their fear. Stop being afraid of your storm. Stop being afraid of your storm. Stop putting more faith in the storm than you do in your God. 
Start putting faith in your God and knowing that if my God is with me, there's no storm that can overtake me. Jesus got up. You see, because he got up out of the tomb, because he came up out of the grave, because he rose up out of that dead place, because he came up, I have life. I have hope. He got up and he rebuked the wind. Now, next week, I'm leading into where we're going next week. Because next week, the storm wasn't just a regular storm. I need you to hear me. Jesus, the word rebuke is the same word that he uses when he casts out the demon. And he rebukes the demon. It's the same word. Jesus recognized this wasn't just a storm. This was a spiritual environment. And that this storm was an intimidation to try to get them to turn back from where they came from. I need you to understand the storms that you're facing right now are not just average storms. They're storms that the enemy is trying to bring against your life to get you to turn back. He doesn't want you to reach the other side. He doesn't want you to reach your goal. He doesn't want you to get to where God wants you to go. Jesus stands up and he rebukes it. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, you can only command a storm that you can sleep in. You can only command a storm that you can sleep in. What's that mean? It literally means this. It's impossible to control a storm or calm a storm when you're out of control. I can't control things when I'm out of control. See, some storms God calms, and sometimes God calms us in the storm. The storm will disappear sometimes when we calm down. Stop panicking. Stop being afraid. Are you with me this morning? Jesus rebuked the storm. I want you to notice this. Wow. We're going to have to pick this up next week. The whole purpose of this storm was to keep them from reaching the other side. Then the disciples say this as we close. Who is this dude? What kind of man is this? What kind of man commands the wind and the waves? They trusted God on the shore, but didn't know that he controlled the storm as well. You see, many of us believe that God is with us on the calm, but he leaves us in the storm. But I'm here to tell you, it's in the storms of life that God proves who he really is. There are some of you going through a storm right now. You're in the midst of a battle. You're in the midst of a tempest. In your marriage, in your finances, in your mind, in your peace. You're fighting right now and going through the spiritual dilemma that you're going through. You're in a tempest right now. You're in a storm. And you're beginning to wonder, God, are you even there? I need you to understand this storm is not to destroy you. The storm is to reveal who God really is in the midst of your life. He's trying to take you to another level. He's going to use the storm to be able to reveal to you that he's even in control when all seems out of control. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Now, yes, 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 this is your moment. You're in the midst of a storm right now. 
You're in the midst of this battle. You're in the midst of this tempest. And in fact, some of you have even gotten to the point that you don't, you don't even believe that God cares about what you're going through. In fact, some of you this past week have even uttered those very words. God, do you even care about me? There's some of you here that have swore that you, you would never state these words, but now you're beginning to doubt whether God even loves you because of the storm that you're facing right now. I need you to know you're not only loved, but God's the one that will calm that storm. Sometimes what, what that word rebuke means to take a stand against. The disciples tried to battle their way through the storm, but they weren't making any progress. It wasn't until Jesus spoke to the storm that the storm dissipated. Some of you need to stop trying to row your way through the storm and start decreeing and declaring to your storms. That storm's not going to stop until you declare the word of God to it. Take your authority. That storm has no right in your life. That storm has no right in your life. That storm of sickness has no right in your life. That storm of depression has no right in your life. That storm of financial struggle has no right in your life. That depression has no right in your life. Right now, that loneliness has no right in your life. Speak it. Declare the word of God over it. You're here right now and you're going through a storm. Lift your hand. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CWC Bay Area.